Exciting stuff today, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about getting rich with boring businesses. Stay tuned. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Are you thinking of growing your business or beginning a journey into entrepreneurship? Take a shortcut to success by buying an existing and profitable business the right way. Visit businessbuyeradvantage.com and learn more about my online training, group coaching, and consulting services designed to help you win. All right, everyone. Today, I want to talk about boring businesses. And why do I want to talk about boring businesses? Well, I have this little artificial intelligence tool that helps me with the back end of YouTube. And every once in a while, it comes up with suggestions like, hey, you should talk about this or this or this because other people online are talking about these things. And there's like a trending undercurrent, for example, of conversation using certain terms. And it has started suggesting to me that I should make videos about boring businesses. So I thought, hmm, that seems interesting. Why don't I take a little look into this? And so I did a quick search on YouTube and I put in get rich buying boring businesses. And well, it's true. There's a whole bunch of content out there about boring businesses. So I decided I should I should look into this. I should check it out because. I struggled to understand what a boring business was supposed to be. So let me share my screen. Um, here we go. So I did a quick search and I found this uh, article from Entrepreneur Magazine. And if we scroll down here, uh, there's a fellow in here named uh, Brent Bishore. And uh, if, for people that consume content in this space, you probably heard him before. He He's a guy who talks about buying businesses and he runs a firm that has acquired several. And um, so what Bishore calls a boring business, it, he says, these are stable and profitable, but can benefit from help in the form of best in class marketing strategies, technology and business systems. OK, so basically what what Bishore is saying is that we're looking at these stable businesses that have earnings year in, year out, et cetera. Um, a similar term would be from that HBR guide to buying a small business, enduringly profitable would be another kind of term that I think is kind of in this same bucket as boring businesses. But the word boring, I find fascinating. And so I thought I would like to explore the word and try to figure out why this particular word all of a sudden has seemed to be jumping up in the space and in online social media conversations, et cetera. So I went over to um, dictionary.com. Uh, this is thesaurus.com. And I just typed in the word boring. And I wanted to figure out, you know, what sort of other words or ideas are kind of associated with this word. And so you can see here like dull, humdrum, lightless, monotonous, mundane, stale, stodgy. I mean, to me, these are not really words that, um, that you can say uh, belong with business. Because in my experience, 
you know, there's always things that pop up in businesses, right? And as I get through the list here, uh, towards the end, I found this word, unexciting. Um, I've always found business to be kind of exciting. But but what I did is I said, let, let me dig through this rabbit hole and try to figure out what sort of idea or picture is being painted in someone's head. Because words are important. I don't know if you ever think about this, but I do. Um, and and if you've ever read the book 1984 or if you've watched the movie 1984, um, there's a, a subtext to the story there where they're always talking about reforms to the language and they're talking about new editions of a dictionary because in that book, um, and I won't give it away for people who haven't read it, I highly recommend the book, 1984, um, the people who are trying to control everything are trying to shape people's thoughts by changing the way that words are used, okay? And so our thoughts are shaped by language. The words that are used create connotations and links in our own brain through our own experience that help us paint a picture of what is trying to be described. And so, so this is why in the world of marketing in particular, uh, word choice is extremely important. So I wanted to play with this. I wanted to explore this word boring. So unexciting is over here. So I opened up another tab to see what the synonyms of unexciting were. And I found boring, humdrum, monotonous again. A lot of these were on the other on the other screen. Um, and unimaginative, uninspiring, uninteresting, routine. And I thought routine. Well, geez, what what would be sort of a word that was kind of like routine, right? And the opposite uh, or or a word that is similar to routine, I think, is this word uneventful, right? Uneventful. So now we're thinking about a business that, you know, is enduringly profitable, has a history of making money year in, year out. Uh, it's boring, which means it's monotonous. The same thing is happening all the time. And through extension of that word, I'm now bringing you to this uneventful, right? So we're thinking about a business that just keeps plugging along, same thing all the time, chunking out the cash, delivering the profits, right? So uneventful. And from uneventful, what do we get? Well, I extend that to mean predictable or certain, right? So there's, there's no unforeseen events. We've got this money that's coming every month. We're talking about predictable. We're talking about certain. So you see, the word boring for a lot of people is going to extend into this type of attitude toward the business. By characterizing it as boring, we're now talking about it having no sudden events. We're talking about the certainty of its performance, right? So where then does certain bring us? Well, there's obviously a word that is opposite of certain, and that word is risky, right? And this is traditionally a word that is associated with business. So somehow a boring business is one that is somehow no longer a risky business, 
right? So it's a repositioning of what business might look like. Now, let me tell you a little bit of story of my own background. So I'm gonna show you a picture here and I'll describe it as best I can for people that just listen to the audio. So uh, this was one of my first businesses after I left my career at the Yellow Pages. So me and a partner, we started a, a junk removal business called Junk Away. And uh, we tried to buy a 1-800-GOT-JUNK franchise, but they told us our market was too small. So instead what we did is we just did as much research as we could about them and just like copied their business as, as much as we could. And so we created this business called Junk Away. We got this old truck from a landscaping company and we paid a, a welding firm to, um, to basically put these sides onto it. And uh, we advertised and people would call us up and uh, we would go over to their homes. And it was a pretty successful startup actually, because within three months we had two employees and I was spending my day to day answering the phone, doing a few quotes, but largely I was spending my time working on um, stuff to do with my property portfolio at the time. I had three apartment buildings with about 10 doors in total. And so, so that was the junk removal business. Now, let me tell you about this boring business. People phoned us, we put them in the schedule, we went to their homes or businesses, we collected the stuff, we brought it to the recycling yard, delivered it to charity if it was usable or brought it to the dump, right? And we collected the money. So I don't know how much more boring you can get, right? Pretty straightforward kind of business. Um, so here are some of the things that we had to deal with. Unfortunately, we had to deal with some of these on a more regular basis than others. So uh, the truck breaking down, you buy an old truck, you're going to get breakdowns. Uh, then we had to deal with the truck running out of gas uh, because the fuel gauge broke in the truck. Um, and eventually we started to like just carry a little jug of extra gas in, in the truck to help with that. Um, so truck breakdowns, uh, we could have the truck uh, broken down for a few hours and our mechanic would have it underway again. Or in one case, uh, it was a very special part that went missing and we were out of commission for four days. Our truck wasn't working. And so what we then had to start to do was move appointments to the next week. And then at, once we got to day two of the breakdown, we had filled the following week because we, we had other things already scheduled that week. We had filled in all the blank space and then we're trying to move people out two weeks. And now you're running into the fact that people don't want to be moved out two weeks. So then it's let's rent a U-Haul truck or let's get a trailer and tow it behind Dave's truck and see if we can try to do some of these smaller jobs without the benefit of our truck. Now, our truck had one of those hydraulic hoists so that you could dump it out like a dump truck. And when you rent a, a U-Haul cube truck, like a, one you might use to move, it doesn't do that. So you're loading it by hand, then you're unloading it by hand, right? And you're adding all the extra labor, et cetera. So, so that was pretty eventful. That was pretty exciting. I, I didn't like that. So there was this one time when the guys had just filled up the truck with, uh, with gas and they went and parked it at a customer's driveway and there was a slight slope and the gas tank was on the low side. And some of the gas seeped around the cap and dripped onto the driveway. And the driveway was like a newly paved driveway. This was like a, a house flipping home reno kind of deal. And when the customer saw that there had been some gas dripped on the driveway, they said, if that leaves a stain, I'm suing you guys to have the whole driveway replaced. And I was, you know, the, the guys were like, oh, okay, we'll take it up with our boss. 
and the customer didn't think that they were serious. So the customer called me and said, there's this huge stain on my driveway, you know, I'm upset, et cetera, et cetera. So I ended up driving over there. And when I got there, there was this mark on the driveway, this wet spot of gasoline uh, about the size of, uh, oh, I don't know, it was like that big. It was like the size of a deck of cards or something. And the person went off on me about how they just had the driveway repaved and all this kind of thing. And I said, look, you know, if it does leave a stain, give me a call and we'll figure something out. I didn't know. So when I got back home, I called my insurance guy and said, you know, what outcomes could there be here? And that's when I found out that uh, you can drive into things, you can uh, you know, break people's property, you can do all kinds of things, and it's covered under various liabilities. Uh, but if you spill gas, that's like an environmental thing. And um, yeah, so never heard anything. Thank goodness. Uh, that one just kind of went away, fixed itself. Um, the most stressful incident while I owned the junk removal business was when I got a call from the helper one day. Um, because they were uh, the driver uh, and the helper were on site. They were cleaning something up and one guy was on the truck and the other guy was like lifting something up to help him get it onto the truck. And there was sawdust and the wind blew and the sawdust got whipped up off of this. Uh, I think it was like a big piece of wood or something and got into the driver's eye. And so he's like, like knew immediately that it was a problem that he was going to have to like flush his eye or something and tried to with some water there on the site and then quickly realized like he thought there might have been a slightly larger piece of wood or dust in his eye. Uh, and so he called the cab and went to the hospital. Right. And so his helper called me and said, this is what has happened. So I tried to call the driver. I got his voicemail, uh, left a message. There was no texting at this time. It was before that. Um, so I left a voicemail message with him and then I went to the site and uh, picked up where he left off. Like I continued the day. So I had to step in and cover the driver. When um, when I did finally hear from him a few hours later, he said that he got into the hospital. Uh, they did an eye flush and then they made him wait around with like some dye in his eye because they were going to have a specialist like look and see if there was any damage to his eye. Uh, but one of the things that they had asked is that for him to stay home for a couple of days while uh, any potential small scratches on the surface of his eye were healed because his eye ended up being all bandaged up after they treated it. And um, so he was missing for a couple of days. And then the question is, well, do you pay him or not? How does that work? And it turns out that because this happened on the job that um, we were able to submit a claim for him to get his wages from uh, our workplace health and safety uh, workman's comp program, basically. But that was a whole eventful series of learnings for me because I'd never done it before. So I had to, you know, get all this stuff and you had to get notes from the hospital and all this sort of thing. So, so there were all kinds of things that would happen in that business, unforeseen things, unforeseen expenses, et cetera. Now, um, if you're interested in hearing a really in-depth story of this kind of thing, I would direct you over here. Let me, uh, let me share my screen here. Um, this is the website for acquiring minds. So it's a podcast about people that do acquisitions. And there's this story here where the fella, this fellow named Monty uh, decided to buy a small business uh, that basically filtered restaurant deep frying oil. 
Um, and um, kudos to him for being willing to share his story because, um, again, he was getting into this because it was a regular, repeatable, needed service that fit all the criteria of boring. And when he got into the operations, holy cow, were there a lot of exciting, not such a positive way, things that happened. So if you want to get a real seat of the pants idea of what can happen when you buy a business, check out that podcast. I'll put the link uh, down below. Um, so this leads me then to the question, why on earth is there so much discussion about this boring business idea, boring business idea, boring business idea? Like, like let, why is the term coming up? Because when I put buy a boring business into YouTube, I'll tell you, it's a certain type of character that keeps popping up uh, promoting videos in this vein. It's not, you know, Brent Bishore putting out 100 videos about this. It's, it's other people. And so being a good uh, entrepreneur in 2023, I asked ChatGPT. I was like, hey, ChatGPT, what possible marketing reasons might someone have for describing a business as boring, right? And ChatGPT gave me a really great uh, little article here. Uh, number one, reverse psychology. Uh, using reverse psychology to pique curiosity by initially presenting the business as boring may create intrigue and encourage people to look deeper to see if there's more to the story. Oh, I love it. Uh, number two, humility and authenticity. Embracing humility and authenticity can resonate with certain audiences by admitting that the business may not be the most exciting or glamorous. It can come across as more genuine and relatable. Wow. Okay. So, uh, yeah. All right. Niche appeal or niche appeal. In niche markets, emphasizing that a business is boring might appeal to a specific audience that, that values reliability stability. Wow. Interesting. That, that gets kind of back to my um, thesaurus.com work earlier, huh? Uh, challenging market norms. In a crowded market filled with grandiose claims and exaggerated marketing, a business presenting itself as boring can stand out as a refreshing change. Hmm. Interesting. Number five, specific target audience. For businesses catering to specific professional or technical industries, describing themselves as boring could attract clients who prioritize competence, precision, and adherence to guidelines. These clients may see boring as an attention to detail or seriousness, okay? Under promise and over deliver. By setting low expectations initially, the business has an opportunity to surprise and delight customers, okay? Number seven, creating a buzz. The use of a somewhat controversial and unexpected description such as boring might generate buzz and attention, okay? Leading to increased discussion about the business. It could work as a conversation starter or a social media marketing tactic. Interesting. Um, tongue in cheek. Well, I don't really think we're getting into tongue in cheek here, but but I found that kind of interesting. And, and keep in mind that ChatGPT is, um, you know, it's yeah, it's artificial intelligence, but it basically puts words together based on the appearance of words in the world of the Internet. And so it's it's like drawing upon a lot of the Internet and a lot of the Internet, obviously, is marketing stuff and it's putting it together. And so. After doing the research for this video, I started to think myself. 
is is it possible to say I'm going to buy a boring business to become wealthy? Um, well, I've already established that it's really hard to sort of pin down what a boring business is. What people are trying to convey when they talk about boring businesses is this idea that a boring business is somehow this this less risky business. So why are people talking about businesses being lower risk than they really are, but not actually using the plain language? Why are they going about it using this word boring and letting you come up with the connotation in your own head? Well, I have a theory and I'd love, I'd love to get your feedback on it. Please comment down below if you think that I'm crazy for saying this. Um, but I think the term boring business is coming out strong in the small and medium-sized business online media space because people are trying to grow the audience for content in this area of topicality. So I think there are people who that are trying to like grow their YouTube channel, grow their podcast, grow their subscriber base by presenting an avenue of business ownership, which does not freak people out the way business ownership might normally. Um, and so the idea is that you create this larger audience of people who are going to consider business ownership for the first time, because now they're thinking that there's an opportunity to get into it without the risk. And why would you want to do that? Because you sell something to people looking to buy a business, not because you actually sell businesses, right? So if you're like selling a course on how to buy a business, like I do, uh, that I, I would be a person who would profit from this growing notion that you can somehow buy a business that isn't going to be risky. However, Privately controlled small business is the riskiest asset class there ever was. I mean, I've created so many videos about the risks of small businesses. Um, and I, I honestly try to scare people off who don't have the stomach for it because entrepreneurship and business ownership is risky. And there's all kinds of unforeseen things that will come at you every day from every direction. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... I think people are messing with your heads. That's what I think. And so get on out there and buy a boring business. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Go over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me and how I work with my clients. You can learn more about my books and courses that I've prepared for you. You can find out how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, and more. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest. Special thanks go to Mark Willis at Lake Growth Financial, today's video sponsor. Mark helps people better manage their personal and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've seen others use it successfully for years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find all the interviews I've done with Mark and learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up for a free consultation to learn what this solution might look like for you.